0: Ah, so good to be with you. We are in a series of messages, isn't that a great way to begin? As you know, on how to help people follow Jesus. So I'm going to tell you things you already know, but the things that you want to be good at telling other people. I can tell you about a bike riding preacher, Jordan. Um, one Saturday night, I was sitting on my porch, and that bike that we have in common, it uh, was sitting in my garage, and a lady called me from the neighborhood and says my brother needs to get baptized. And I was like, well, when people say baptized, I'm like, when I hear the word, I'm, I'm a Baptist pastor and in, 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 uh, in hiding, you know. I'm a Baptist pastor. And, and so I'm like, start the water running. That's, that's like, somebody says, I want to get baptized. I'm like, fill the tank right now. That that's, takes priority over everything else. Um, I'm not that sharp, but I know that. And so I said, he wants to get baptized. And she said, yes. And you know, she talked a little bit about him. He's a Vietnam veteran. Uh, He's been through a lot. Um, Things are kind of hard right now. He got a cancer diagnosis. I got on my bike (laughs) that night, that that bike, the black one. Um, And I wrote, I was just thinking about that this morning. I wrote it over to Greg Dameron's sister's house, Greg was there. And I said, well, I came over to prepare you for baptism because I heard you want to be baptized. And then I gave him the gospel. And his heart was so open to receive Christ and to receive the gospel. He was very tenderhearted and very sweet. Uh, he had a gorgeous, big, wood. you remember this on He had a big, gorgeous, white beard, real well-kept, beautiful white beard. He was a neat guy um and he was so tenderhearted, like a child so ready to receive the gospel you want to bump into somebody like that all the stuff that we've been telling you you just be able to try it out on them you want pray for somebody like that to come into your life it's so much fun and so i sat on the porch that that summer evening and i gave him the gospel and he received christ and, and we scheduled his baptism he started coming to our church and just listening so carefully He's very, very attentive. Um, and then we took him through a, a, a brief um, classes that we had. And then we filled the baptistry. And I remember when we baptized him, he had some he had, he'd lost his hair because he was going through some treatments that he lost his hair. And he was weakened. And he was tired and it was hard sometimes. He was gone from churches because he couldn't come because he's very sick from the treatments. Um, And when I baptized him, we had to take a lot of extra precautions because of physical things that he had needs and such. And so it was hard. It was a hardship, really. But here's what I remember the most that I wanted to tell you about today. And Greg, when I baptized him, it just looked like a light of joy came over him, not physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Just he was so joyful. He was so full of joy. It often happens when people get baptized. They have this crazy unexplainable joy that comes over them and i want to explain that to you today not too long after that greg went to be with the lord and his sisters said he was just a simple guy we don't want a funeral we're just going to put his ashes in the ground something like tuesday and we're not going to say anything or do anything he wouldn't want that he was just a simple guy so you know, it's going to be Tuesday at the cemetery between our church and the, and the house. And I said to him, it was happened to be on a day I usually take off. And and I said, well, would it be all right if I come? And they go, well, we'd love to have you come. And I thought, well, I'll just ride my bike up there, you know, from the house over to, I didn't put anything special on to wear because the way she talked about it. And at the last minute, I drove my Jeep over and I drove into the cemetery and there was quite a group gathered. There were actually two kind of large groups that were gathered there. And when I walked up, his sister said, I'm so glad you're here. Would you be willing to say a few words? <laughs> I'm like, well, sure. Of that was always, you know, it's always difficult for me to come up with words. And, and so, uh, but yeah, I said, yeah, of course I, I will. And um, maybe you remember me telling you this because I love to tell it. But half of the group was from town and they knew us and they knew Greg and his sisters and, But half the group had come there from out of town. The group from out of town were Christian people, and they were all looking really sad. They are just kind of looking at the ground and kicking the stones. And I began to tell about how I got a call from Joyce and how I rode my bike over and how Greg came to know the Lord and how I got baptized. And when I said that, that whole family just started going, are you kidding? We didn't know. They were crying, they were laughing, they were so happy. They were Christians who thought he went to hell. <laughs> and they found out at his ad hoc funeral service that he was a follower of Jesus, and the joy just spread. There was just such happiness. And I, and I drove back home with such happiness in my own heart. Now, if you don't get anything else I'm saying today besides you're supposed to get baptized, and if you want to help people, <laughs> and you want to help people follow Jesus, help them get baptized. That's the sermon today. If anybody asks you, this is about baptism, you should be baptized, but you knew that. And if you want to help somebody follow Jesus, have them repent, believe, and get baptized. That's the sermon. I'm going to go way long on this and tell you a whole bunch more, but that's the sermon. But along with that, here's the overarching thing that I want you to remember, and it's this. Eager obedience to God leads to unexplainable joy. Eager obedience to God leads to unexplainable joy. I'll show you that today. It's the subtext in the baptism stories of the Bible. Eager obedience to God leads to unexplainable joy. And it doesn't seem that way. It's counterintuitive because, you know, if somebody tells you to do something and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to do that or not. It wasn't my idea. It's like, if it's God telling you to do it, just do it because it leads to a joy, unexplainable joy. These are joy. So, what we have today, and you probably got a, you got notes on this because we gave out extensive notes. Anybody need notes? Raise your hand if you need them. Everybody has them. Okay, good. Uh, I'll fill those notes today, so this is going to be unusual um, unless I decide not to. Um, but let's just go through the questions and answers about baptism for this purpose, because if you want to help somebody follow the Lord, you want to lead them to be baptized. I was looking at my. Facebook today, see if my family members had sent me anything, and I noticed a, a video pop-up from history, and it was when my grandson, our grandson, Mr. Little, Aiden redemption, was being publicly dedicated to the Lord at church. And he was, the pastor was holding him, and he kept grabbing the mic. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. He's like, he, he, the whole time he never stopped taking the mic away from the pastor. And the pastor very graciously dedicated him uh, to the Lord. And I, and I thought about That little grandson and louis and i have 20 or almost 20 now and um how i would love to see each one of them joyfully follow the lord and go through the waters of baptism and then obey him whatever he says that would be i don't care if they're rich i don't care if they're famous i care about them follow the lord and so if we would prepare ourselves as faithful christians Saying, Lord, I will prepare myself with knowledge about how to lead somebody into following the Lord in baptism, then the Lord may use you to encourage somebody in that. And it might be somebody that you know and, and you love. It's certainly somebody, somebody knows and loves. And as a church, we want to be really devoted to helping people get baptized. So, a lot of times, a real simple way to look at Christian ministry. Is when you look at somebody, you should love them for the human being that they are. You should just like them and love them for who they are. You should also very much about they're going to be for. I was taught as a boy uh, this phrase, be soul conscious, they would say. In other words, be conscious of the fact that everybody you meet is in eternity somewhere. who have the directions to heaven for them. So one well, of the first things you want to do when you meet somebody in your brain is just genuinely like them and love them and think, do they know the Lord? And what can I do to nudge them toward the Lord? And it's a good way to look at your life is just to say, my job every day is to nudge everybody I meet just a little bit closer to the Lord. And sometimes you'll nudge somebody across the finish line, or not the finish line, that's death but you know, across the belief line. You'll be there for that, and then after that, I always say, "You know, have they repented of their sins and believed that Jesus is the answer for their sins?" I I, I, and then until I get that answer, that's kind of my goal: love them and find out the answer to that question. Right after that, the next thing is what? Are they baptized? (laughs) Let's go over this one more time. Yeah, no, you get it. Yeah, are they baptized? Uh, This is to me. Lewis and I were talking about that. Like if a pastor was young and starting out, one of the things that he could do, this this I have done. I wish I'd done other stuff better. This I have done. And that is, I try to get people saved. You know, I try to get the gospel to people. I try to find out if they're saved or not. And then tell them. And then I try to get them to follow the Lord in baptism. After that, obviously things, we'll talk about those things. Faithful, being faithful in assembly and being in the Word, being enjoying prayer enjoying the word enjoying the assembly but get them but help them to see the their name for the lord if you want to help somebody like if you had a million dollars it wouldn't be more worth more than help them know they can know god and be with god teach them and if they even don't believe at least get it in their brain and their heart truth so that when their heart's ever ready that truth will drop into their soul no and then dispatch so let's get cracking now on this and let's answer questions about baptism what's the main reason to be baptized well because it's the final command of jesus you know uh, one of the best places to do this to see this and maybe to show a child or to show a person is in matthew 28 the great commission where jesus is preparing to to ascend back to heaven and he specifically meets with his disciples and he says to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth go into all the world to all the nations and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father and the son of the holy spirit teaching them to observe whatever i've commanded you and i'm with you always to the end of the age this is the great what we call the great it's one of the iterations in the bible of the great commission which includes this command to be baptized that's all you need to highlight that tab that show that to people you why are we baptized because jesus commanded baptism that's all i need to know there's more but that's all i need to know when should i be baptized well Immediately after you're saved. Let me give you seven examples from the Bible. There was the example of those who were saved at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Go to the Holy Land, and you'll notice in the area where this was in your Solomon's portion, mikvah ritual baths around. It's like hand baptismal pools for people. And they had a baptismal. This would have been amazing. Um, so why be what what, baptized? Because Jesus said it. When should you be baptized? As soon as you believe. What, the, what they did in the Bible, I'll go to seven examples. One, those who were saved on Pentecost immediately were baptized. Samaritan men and women, they kind of had a many. there's not really a mini Pentecost. But again, for the Samaritans had their special visitation from the Holy Spirit. People got saved in Acts 8 and verse 12. And those who believed, um, Philip, as he preached these things, concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. They believed, and then they were baptized. We call this believer's baptism. Simon, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 13, next example, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs. He was a false convert, and he was baptized by an apostle which is interesting. Because sometimes we say, we didn't baptize people till we're sure. But well, it's not what they do in the New Testament, they baptize them and let God figure that out. And number four, the Ethiopian eunuch. Beautiful story in the Bible. And you see the joy thing so plainly in this beautiful story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, Acts in chapter 8, in verses 36 and 30 through 39. They, they went down the road and came to water. This was after they had the conversation with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And the, the Ethiopian eunuch the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You ever notice when we have baptisms, we'll often say to people, do you believe? And then they were like, yes, I do. And then we baptize. We don't make him give a speech. We always let them give a speech, but we don't make them give a speech because we're following the pattern of the New Testament. Where are you affirming that you believe in Jesus? Yes, I am. I, with my lips, I affirm. And then the 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 submission to baptism is the symbol in the death barrel and resident researchers this is the new testament way somebody says are you supposed to come forward and make a profession of faith yeah get baptized that's your profession of faith your baptism is you saying i'm a follower of jesus and this is true here when they came out of the water the spirit of the lord caught philip away and the eunuchs no more and he went on his way what's the next word Do you know yeah, I love that, and I've seen that as a pastor over and over again, people with, with a joy on their face. Uh, we had a fellow here who was dying, and he was very sick. Way up there, and our guys helped him out. It was pretty The pastor pretty clumsily baptized him that day. Um, that was me, but, but the thing that, we have a video of this. I, I'll always remember it. He came up out of the water smiling, He had this big joyful smile, even though he was sick. Um, There's people think the way to joy, people are all confused about what what will make happy. Obeying what Jesus tells you will make you happy, and a special kind of joy. Ethiopian eunuch. Number five, Saul. Remember Saul, who hated God and hated God's people? Acts 9, he's converted immediately. There fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight. And he arose, and guess what he did then? You guessed it, he was baptized. And Cornelius, what a story in the Bible. In, in Acts 10, you have this Roman soldier, and, he, and Jesus has to kind of work on Peter a little bit to get him uh, ready to go to Gentiles. And he goes to Cornelius, in chapter, and he believes in chapter 10 and verse 48, he commands him to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Cornelius then was baptized. And there was the story then of the philippian jailer you know the story over into macedonia the macedonian call they go over to philippi they have the ladies that are praying by the river they eventually run into the demon possessed girl they get thrown in jail it's a great story they get thrown in jail they're singing and praising god at midnight god rattles their cage they get out the philippian jailer says i'm going to fall on my sword they say we're all here he says what must i do to be saved he says believe on the lord jesus christ and you'll be saved and your whole household they had, had children old enough to understand and believe. And the whole household, the Bible says, believed and that night they were baptized. Now this is obvious. Would you agree with me? This is the New Testament way. This is the Bible way. You get saved. And then after you get saved, you get baptized. That's All the examples in the Bible are this way. Cornelius, the Philippian jailer. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. My goodness, isn't it something? Imagine the a family like that. So can you be saved without being baptized? Answer, yes. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a symbol that shows your salvation, but it doesn't save you. Let me give you seven proofs that baptism doesn't save you. The thief on the cross was saved, wasn't he? He went to heaven, but was he baptized? That's proof number one. Paul was considered saved before his baptism. Before his baptism, he was called brother. In Acts, in chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, he's counted a brother before he's baptized. Another argument. Third, baptism is a work. And the Bible specifically and repeatedly says, we are not saved by works. There are good people who are sincere people, who love God and cherish God and have affections for God. And they're, and they're, they're devout and they believe, that, like my neighbor, I remember my neighbor, Chris Niquette, who we were the recipient of his good works. He was a dentist. And we were talking to him in the, his, he was Lutheran, his wife was Roman Catholic. And I didn't bring it up. He brought it up to me, we're in the front yard, and he says to me, Ken, I'm sorry I try, but I just can't accept what you believe, that you're saved by faith alone without works. I can't imagine that it doesn't require some works to be saved. There are people who who believe that the works are on this side of salvation and not on the other side of salvation. This is not what the Bible teaches, but there are very sincere people who believe that. The Bible says we're not saved by works, including baptism. So baptism is a work, and we're not saved by works. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. I kind of like made that point last week lest anyone should boast. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Praise the Lord. That's true. So that's first, the thief on the cross. How do we know you don't have to be baptized to be saved? The thief on the cross was not baptized, but we know he was saved. Paul was called brother before he was baptized. Baptism was a work and we're not saved by works according to many clear passages of scripture, whole books of the Bible, like Romans and Galatians as an example. Fourth, Paul didn't baptize, but he won many to Christ. He said, I'm here to, but he said, his main thing wasn't baptizing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, he said, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, if believing and being baptized was the gospel, he would never have used that kind of language. Number five, Jesus saved many, but he didn't baptize. This is what it says in John 4 and verse 2, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples in Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and save. Do you think Jesus sought and saved people? Yes, but he didn't baptize them. Does this argument make sense? So the scriptures are very plain about that. And number six, baptism is not a part of the gospel. When we have the gospel given in its most succinct form in 1 Corinthians 15, baptism is not included there, but believing. Acts 2.38 is a passage that some will point to that appears to teach what some call baptismal regeneration. When you hear the verse, if it was the only verse in the Bible, you might think that to be be true. Let's look at that verse that's important. Acts chapter 2, and I know I'm going really fast, but this would be an important thing for us to see. And verse 38, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, And they'd heard they were cut to the heart. Peter's preaching in verse 37, the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be fun to go down a get the Holy Spirit rabbit trail right now and talk about the Holy Spirit? But we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We will someday. Come back. Don't miss a Sunday. We'll talk about that. But in this case, you have a passage that some people, good, well-meaning people, some who I love very, very much, believe because of this passage is teaching, you have to be baptized to be saved. Let me just say this, you know, just to be sure, get baptized. To, why? Are, why you, you don't have to be baptized to be saved the Bible is plain about that but, but I would just say what's interesting to me this is another subject that I'm going to go down a little rabbit trail when I meet somebody and they say I'm saved but I don't want to get baptized I'm nervous about if they're really saved you should be nervous if you say oh I love Jesus I believe in him I believe in the son of God the first thing he tells you to do you're not doing it something's wrong there and I've met people like that. It's interesting. When you get somebody, and they say they believe, and they go through steps or co- confirmation or catechisms or teachings, and, and then you get them up to the baptismal, and they're like, well, no, wait, I don't know. I've often thought, I wonder if that person really knows the Lord. They may or may not, the Lord knows that. I don't. But in this case, the, the word for can also mean because of, like it does in Luke 5, 14. In Luke 5:14 it says he charged them to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest. They're already healed and they're already cleansed. Go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. In other words, because of your cleansing. And that that's the way the word is used in Acts 2 and 38. You're baptized because of of your salvation, as a demonstration of your salvation, which is exactly what baptism is. And then that language or that grammar, that understanding of that possible grammatical understanding of that passage coincides with everything else the Bible teaches about salvation by grace through faith, not of works. And then it all harmonizes, it's called the analogy of faith. We understand the scripture as its own best commentary. So when I find a Passage that seems unclear. I don't reinterpret all the clear passages to match the unclear passage. I I interpret all the unclear passage in the light of all the clear passages. Does that make sense? That's called the analogy of faith popularly expressed as the Bible is its own best commentary. That's why you read the Bible over and over again because less likely to get stuck on some error when you see the scope of all of the scripture and the, and, the, and the weight of the content. Certain things are given great weight. They're repeated often and they're clarified very much and others not so much. Not as clear, not as, not as much weight. And that's intentional because it's God's book and it's clear, perspicuous, they say. In theology, it's clear. God. People often will talk about, oh, the mysteries of God. I like that. Some things are mysterious, but what you're going to find in our time is progressive Christians are going to put a lot of things in the mystery category that don't belong in the mystery category. That's no extra charge today. That's a great mystery. No, it's not. The deity of Christ is not a mystery. It's plainly given in the Bible. The virgin birth is not a mystery. We don't have to sit around and navel gaze about it. The Bible is plain about the virgin birth. The second coming of Jesus is not a mystery now. It's known and clear in the Bible, very clear, very plain. It's not a mystery. There are mysterious things about it, but we know it's going to happen because he said it's going to happen. You don't have to hesitate when somebody asks you, do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to return? You don't say, well, you say yes, because the Bible is plain. The timing, the details, we can have Bible studies about that. That's a wonderful thing to do. But, it's, but this is not a mystery. Salvation by grace through faith alone, following the Lord in believer's baptism, are plainly taught, plainly commanded, and clearly described in the Bible. This brings us to another question that often comes up, and this is an important one. Should infants be baptized? Should infants be baptized? And the answer is no, they should not. And Here's why. First of all, understanding that in people's religious experience, when they are devout and they have a love for God and a love for their children, and they're taught by a religious authority that they should submit to baptism of an infant, it's not that they're bad because they do that. Their instincts are very good. They realize their child is a gift from God. They realize that God has binding, uh, placed binding obligations upon them. This would be a, a benevolent and a good instinct. And a person should follow the light that they have fully into Scripture. And here's the point about infant baptism, according to the Bible. It's very clear. There are no commands to baptize infants in the Bible. The Bible nowhere says to baptize infants nowhere this is very clear there are no examples of b- infants being baptized in a bible none and third there are no instructions about baptizing infants in the bible so that leads us to another question and that is what should you do if you find out that your baptism isn't scriptural like you were baptized or you thought you were baptized before you believed or or, or even as an infant Well, there's a scriptural precedent for that in a most amazing character in the Bible whose name was Apollos. I guess if I wanted to be like anybody in the Bible, it would be Barnabas, and maybe number two would be Apollos, because it says that he was eloquent in the Scriptures, and he was fervent in Spirit. I mean, if this guy came to town, you'd be like, Apollos is speaking tonight, and this guy is eloquent in the Scriptures, and he's passionate, he's fervent. And they take him along. They listen to him one night and the the believers take him along they say, you know, kudos on your rhetorical skill (laughs) and your spirit and your passion. But we're listening and we can tell there's something we found out about you don't know. This is in Acts 19. And they explain to him, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? And he's like, no. That's what we thought. (laughs) They taught him about that. And then, then when they they'd only had the baptism of John, then they were baptized in a New Testament baptism. Now here's a good guy who, when he recognizes there's more to have, he gets it. He, this is a, how you can tell the good guys. is they humble themselves, and when they come to a new light, or they find a further light, they further humble themselves. And they just, that's a part of their testimony. My mother loved me when I was a boy, they might say. And my mother and my dad knew there was a God, and they realized I was a gift from God. So they went to the church and the priest or pastor said this is what we do to show that this child came from God and they made holy vows before God so I I, I can't imagine that God is in His heaven go let those people burn in hell because they didn't get it quite right I think it's a lot more likely to recognize Here's a person acting to the best of their ability on the instinct that they have that there is a God and their child is a gift from God. If that happened to you, you should be really grateful that you, and then they, if they want you to follow God, follow God into His word. Which is the only sure and certain information that we have about who God is. And when you follow God into His word, His word is very plain about baptism. Then now you've learned more than be baptized. the way the Bible teaches, that you should be baptized and so uh, um question what mode or method of baptism does the bible teach now we're going to shift here a little bit and go from do you notice the certainty in my voice and the confidence and, and kind of the tone that i've been using it's like this is one thing the bible is very plain about this we're not apologizing about this this is like i'm i know there are smart people in the world that don't agree with me but i've never heard any of them give me an argument that would change the plain teaching of the New Testament on that, and you know, if you want to say, "Is that why you're Baptist?" Like it's right. I mean, we don't have to call it Baptist. Jesus didn't. This is what the scriptures teach. Believers' baptism is very plain in scriptures. When I hear other people explain why they believe the Bible, but they teach infant baptism, those arguments aren't even close to convincing to me, and so that's. Now, when it comes to motive baptism, which is a little different thing that we're on, because we have in mo- the motive baptism, when you notice that the support for the motive baptism is all going to be by inference. There's not a direct scripture that says, Now, when you baptize, be sure that you put a hanky over their nose and mouth, you lower them slowly into the water, and their nose goes under, pull them back up, like the way I was taught to do that as a, as a young pastor. The Bible doesn't say it that way, but you will, let me show you what the Bible does say about how we arrived at the mode of baptism that we use. And I think it's a convincing, but hear it in a little different tone. Okay, what mode of baptism does the Bible, are you still with me? nod, look interested. Okay. Um, The Bible teaches immersion. Did you you know I was going to say that? Yeah. The Bible teaches immersion. And let me give you four clear arguments from the Bible for immersion. One, immersion requires much water. And frequently when the Bible talks about baptism, it specifically says, here's a lot of water, let's get baptized. Here's a lot of water. They came up, they went down into the water. so it was in Acts in chapter 8, verses 26, the the Ethiopian eunuch um, commands the chariot to stand still. Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. They came up out of the water, and the Lord caught Philip away. Um, in, this is a misprint in your material. It says Matthew thirteen sixteen. That's incorrect. The baptism of Jesus in Matthew 3 and 16. That's just to see if you're sharp blessed, that's in in Matthew 3, Jesus again went down with John the Baptist into a body of water. John 3, 23, John also is baptizing uh, in on in Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. First argument is just simply, by inference, when people got baptized in the Bible, they got baptized in large bodies of water. They waited until they went around large bodies of water before they were baptized. Another strong and clear teaching is when the Bible talks about baptism in the, uh, in the Gospels, a lot in the book of Acts, and in the references in the epistles. It always ties it to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Always ties it to the symbolism of the You're baptized into Jesus. We're raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism is not a symbol of sprinkling clean. Baptism is a symbol of dying, being buried, and rising again. This is often how, the Bible, it, it is because we're clean, but it's not a cleansing act. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It's symbolic of our burial in Christ and our resurrection in Christ. Third, the Greek word, and this is a very powerful argument, if it was not uh, transliterated, if it was translated, they would have found the nearest, they would instead of find you, you you know, um, taking a Greek word and making an, an English word that sounds like a Greek word, b- baptizo, baptize. If they had used an English equivalent word, they would have used the word immerse. Other places in Greek literature that talk about doing what they did there, like in die, they would immerse something in the water. They would use that same word. It's to dunk under. It's to submerge. The word means that. The, mean, the, the plainest meaning of the word Baptize is not sprinkle or not effuse, or not pour, but immerse. And then the, the, the fourth argument is immersion was the universal practice of the ancient church or the early church. And if you go and you travel and you see where they began to build, they begin to build baptismal, not fonts, but baptismal pools. Now, this leads us to another question. Why should I then be baptized? Well, there's some additional reasons, obviously, since God p- commanded it, but it's like anything that you obey God in. You say, well, why should I do this, especially if it requires some change, or I haven't done that, or I might be embarrassed, or or it, it, my parents might not understand, or this is a big change for me, or why don't I just not? Um, three things, real simple things, um, and they, and they begin from the weakest to the strongest. You do what God tells you to do because there are punishments for those who don't obey God. This is like a child, do that, or it's going to hurt. <laughs> it's true. I said, for a child of God, there's no punishment, as in punitive punishment, but there's chastisement. So that's one reason, that's a good reason. Lois will often say, well, not lately, hasn't said it a ton, but when we talk, Lois is wired a little bit more like, make sure you remind them about hell. And she's real faithful. You know, kind of that, when she was a girl, she went to her neighborhood church. They had a message on hell that night she got saved. And I'm wired a little bit differently, and I'm like, tell me that he loves me. That's what my heart longs for. And we're all a little different about our motivation. Those are all legitimate motivations. There's the motivation of fear of loss. There is, there are things to lose. I want to obey God because I don't want, I don't want to suffer. Then there's a higher motivation. It's like, well, God is capable of rewarding me. I should obey Him because He can reward me. <laughs> well, that's true. He can and does reward. He says that. He says you're 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 punished or chastised if you disobey. So don't disobey. <laughs> don't make him don't make him get your attention. And He says He's capable of rewarding you. The Scriptures are clear about that. But that's never the highest appeal. And the Scriptures, the highest appeal are always to, I love you. You love me. And my opinion, uh, what I believe the scriptures teach is that the highest reason for us to do what God wants us to do is because we love him. It's a way of expressing our affection for God. It's okay for you to do what you should do because you're afraid. Sometimes you should be afraid. And it's okay for you to do what you should do because if you do it, God will give you things. He actually says it's okay. But wouldn't you agree, the highest motivation would be because he loves me. And because I want to love him back. Why would you be baptized? Because you love God. God says, I want you to do something to show you love me. What does he want me to do? I want you to get baptized. Yes, sir, I'm on my way. Whatever you ask, I'm eager. You get baptized. Where did that joy come from? That's how the scriptures teach it. So there's a reason. Disobedience always brings conflict and discipline, obedience always brings greater blessing, obedience always brings joy. Obedience is a proof of your love for Christ. What are you saying when you're baptized? You're saying, I'm trusting in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ alone for my salvation, or I did. When I got baptized, I'm saying to people, I'm trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for my salvation. You're saying, I want to openly testify that you are my God, that Jesus is my King. When you get baptized, you say, today I'm beginning a life of eager, joyful obedience to the commands. I love to fly at night and look down as you're landing or taking off and look at cars driving along the road. There's just something really romantic about that. You see pools of light out in front of the car, and the car going down the road in the night, and a pool of light, and, the fo- and that light is following the pool. The car is following the pool of light in the night. This is a picture, I believe, of the Christian life. We get in our car to obey God, and we, we, he's taking us unimaginable places that are good. I mean, he's God after all. But we can only see to the end of the headlights and until we drive to the end of the headlights, we can't see farther. And it's so, the way it is, it's like I, I start a life of eager obedience to the Lord, and, it is, and I'm scared because it's dark out there, but he's leading me to a good place. Isn't that true? Chuck Smith, the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement that's featured in the popular movie that's going around now, The Jesus Revolution, he was being interviewed one day, and the guy, it was Greg Laurie that interviewed him, the guy in the movie, Greg Laurie, the pastor, is interviewing Chuck Smith. And he says to him, he's way up in years, he's got oxygen on, he's not long till he goes to be with the Lord, and he says to him, what would you change about your life? What would you do differently? And he just kind of shakes his head and he laughs and he said, it was all the Lord, I don't think I'd change anything, it was all the Lord was in it, the Lord was in it. That's an advanced level of trusting the Lord. It's like uh, God was even in my mistakes and failures and, and, and sinned against me and he was doing what he was doing. And so out beyond the end of the headlights for you if you follow him is joy. Baptism is my first step of obedience into a life of joy. Do I believe? Yes, start this way. Do what I say. Yes, sir. Now, do this. You can trust me. Get in the car. Get in the car. So baptism is an open confession of Christ. This is what it says in Psalm 9, one nineteen forty six: is, I will speak of your testimonies before kings and I will not be ashamed. Luke 12, 8 and 9, also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the son of man will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Then you're familiar with this beautiful passage in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We begin a lifetime of eager obedience. So we're in a series of spokes to turn the Bethel wheel to help people follow Jesus. That's what we've been doing. I've been giving you tips and ideas about how to invite people to Jesus and help him help them to follow the Lord. Hopefully along the way you might see an area where you can obey, where you need to obey the Lord. But I've been telling you about how to help other people obey the Lord and follow the Lord into a life of joy and reward and happiness and love and peace, I'm showing you that. I want to say today, while you listen to those little nuts and bolts and you should do this and you should do that and you should learn this and you should learn that, please don't miss this. I don't know how else to say it today. The secret sauce is love. That's the, you, can, you can put everything else away if you want to. And just love people sincerely. And then what will happen is you will tell them about how to get to heaven and how to not go to hell. You will help them follow the Lord and read their Bibles because you know that's good for them you will encourage them to get baptized if you really love people I'm just saying receive God's love yourself and give God's love to other people my my uh my wife's grandmother you, I'm sure you remember me telling the story I love to tell the story it's a favorite I'm going to tell you part I've never told you before so don't leave yet she married this guy, Jess Curtis, who had his farm. He had the, had the uh, waterfall on his farm, and he showed me the waterfall and how deep the pool was, and he t- took me there. We stood on the rock looking down into the pool, and it was green, which means it's deep. It was pure in the mountains of Kentucky there. And I said, how deep is the pool? And he said, everybody who comes back here, that's the first question they always ask. He said, I was born on this place, and I'm going to die in this place. And my brother and I, when we were young, we were really strong swimmers. We would make hay, and then we would try to, we would come back here and cool off by diving into that pool. He said we would swim as hard as we could to get to the bottom of that pool. But in all my life, I never did really find the bottom of that pool. And when Jesus tells you to do something, he's like, dive into my love. You will never find the bottom of it no end literally is no literally there is no end to the joy that you will receive when you receive the love of god and you obey him that's why jesus said if you love me what did he say keep my commandments and his first one was repent and his second one was believe and his third one was be baptized so the cross calvary is god's message to us that we have access to the endless love of god for ourselves and we can bring other people into the love of god and have them repent and believe and be baptized you look like you need a blessing and you have all this extra time today because i quit so early so why don't you stand up (laughs) <laughs> Stand up, and don't look at me like that. Stand up, go on. <laughs> Mike is going to come, and he's prepared.